Hi everyone, this is Rabbi Mordechai Fleischer, and I'm excited to bring you the latest edition from Mile High Torah of our podcast, Understanding the Sins Discussed in the Torah. And in this podcast, number six of this series, we will focus on the Dor HaMabu, the generation of the flood. So briefly, the story of the generation of the flood and the story behind it as the Torah details it. Mankind gets completely out of whack, and the Torah tells us that that all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. Our sages explain, Rashi cites a number of those teachings, that in uh, matters of relationships between males and females, things got completely corrupted and completely destroyed and ruined, and so you had people taking other people's wives or just snatching up other people and doing as they pleased, and you had people of the same gender living together, you had humans living with animals, you had eventually animals living with animals of other species, and hence the the uh, the wording in the verse that all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. And so Hashem finds one righteous man, Noah, whom he decides he's going to save, along with his family, and he's going to restart the world with Noah and his children. Uh, it's going to be world, two point, world 2.0, and in fact... In Jewish sources, uh, people who are not of the Jewish nation, Gentiles, are referred to as B'nai Noach, as the children of Noach, or Noahites, and clearly uh, this is looked at as a new start after the flood that begins again with Noach. Hashem tells Noach to build an ark, a teva, uh, in which he and his family and the rest of the species of the world will be saved, and Noach takes his family in it, and uh, animals from throughout the world and plants go inside this teva, inside this ark, and Hashem brings a mabel, a flood upon the world. The heavens open up, and the the um, underwater sources also burst forth, and the entire world is flooded. The entire world is destroyed, and only Noah and his family and the animals upon the teva, upon the ark, survive. And eventually, the waters, the rains stop, the water subsides. Noah emerges and starts all over again. Obviously, there's an awful lot to unpack here, and our time is limited. So what I'd like to try to focus on, since this is a podcast on understanding the sins discussed in the Torah, is what exactly, if we have to boil it down, what exactly uh, was the sin of the generation of the flood of the Dorhamabu? Yes, we discuss the idea that uh, they, they were quite deviant in their lifestyles in terms of relationships and things like that. But if we had to boil it down to one area and to one idea... What does it boil down to? So, the sources say, and this is uh, what I'm discussing now, is based a lot off of Rabbi Gedalia Shor, uh, whom I mentioned in the previous podcast as well, in his work, Ar Gedaliahu, which is his talks uh, put into written form, into book form. And he talks about this, but many other sources discuss this idea, and really, these ideas are discussed by much earlier sources. Uh, the Ramchal, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato, uh, alludes to these ideas as well in his, some of his works, and he lived many hundreds of years earlier in the 1600s. And the idea is that we discussed some podcasts ago that after Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what they did was they mixed together good and evil in creation. So now you have a world that has both good and evil in it mixed together, and the job now of mankind is to once again separate the good from the evil. However, instead of doing that, the people of this generation, instead of trying to separate the good from the evil, they decided that instead, on the contrary, they are going to try and get as much as they can, as much pleasure, 
as they possibly can suck out of this world and not have to, on the contrary, not have to limit themselves in the slightest in their pursuit of pleasure, in their pursuit of their lusts and their desires, but rather they're just going to spread as much as they can in terms of taking whatever they can for themselves, for their own desires, for their own pleasure, and come what may. Now keep in mind, this is coming on the heels of what we discussed in the previous podcast, in the generation of Enosh, which, as we talked about in that podcast, was the beginning of idolatry. And we talked about the idea that the beginning of idolatry is the beginning of mankind kind of backing away from God, not wanting to have to relate directly to God, and God responded by flooding one-third of the world. And the idea behind this was God kind of sending a message, and that is, you can try to back away from me, and you can try to run from me, but you can't really do it. Uh, Adam and Eve already tried this in the Garden of Eden. The Torah says that God came to the Garden of Eden and he said, Ayeka, where are you? As if they were hiding, and even though God knew exactly what was going on, but mankind has the ability and the capacity to kind of fool himself into thinking that he can hide from God. And Hashem, when he says to Adam and Eve, Ayeka, where are you? He kind of uh, gives the impression that if you want, you can choose to make believe that God doesn't really know what's going on. But of course, as God himself proves shortly thereafter, he knows exactly what's going on, but it's up to us to make that decision. And so the generation of Enosh tries to back away from God, to move away from God, and to try to keep God uh, out of their lives. And God says, Hashem says, sorry, but I'm here whether you like it or not. And he makes that very clear by flooding one-third of the world. And so a flood destroys one-third of the world. And that makes it clear that God is in the picture, and you can worship whomever you want, but at the end of the day, God is going to have his say in world affairs. And this led directly to the generation of the flood. And if we can encapsulate their, uh, their mindset, it is, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you shall die. In, in a certain sense, they realized that God at any moment could just decide to destroy them. But they figured that let's enjoy the world, let's try to suck as much pleasure as we can out of it, let's try to take as much as we can for our own pleasure, for our own lusts, and, you know, for now, we're here, and we're the ones dominating, and if God, if God decides to step in, so be it, but we don't care, uh, because for the moment, let's just enjoy everything, and then God could wreak his, his vengeance later if he so chooses. What, what did this lead to? What happened over here? So, we understand that once good and evil are mixed together, uh, what that means is that now evil has spread to a much greater degree than it had previously. As we discussed in our podcast of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, before they ate from that tree, uh, evil was kind of tucked away in a corner. It was there, it existed, and Adam and Eve opened the door for it to begin spreading. First it spread into the human psyche, it spread into the good, so it mixed together, and it's hard to discern what what is truly good and what is truly evil. It becomes very challenging on a very deep conscious level, as we discussed then, things that are bad look good to us, things that are good do not look so enticing to us, and evil began to spread. And it's really up to to, to humanity, to mankind, to either stop the spread of evil, or to allow it to continue to spread. If we would like to make an analogy to modern day events, uh, if you mask and you stay indoors, so then you will stop the spread of the virus. But if you choose to just go out and mingle and do whatever you want, it will spread further. It's up to you. And evil is, is exactly that. If a virus is the manifestation of evil, and it spreads because people don't make limits, well, guess what? In the generation of the flood, that's exactly what happened. People did not make any boundaries. There were no limits. They just did whatever they wanted. And what that caused on a spiritual level was that evil just crept and spread more and more and more throughout the world. 
and it just spread everywhere and took over everything. There were no boundaries, there were no borders. And the truth be told, the world itself, the sources tell us, was also a world that had very limited boundaries. The world during that time, the Medrash tells us, did not have seasons like we have today. We didn't have uh, winter and spring and summer and fall, but rather, uh, year-round, the climate was a nice uh, a nice subtropical kind of climate. It was warm all year round, and it would rain once in a while, but it would rain heavily, and that would suffice to provide water for a long time. Because the weather and the climate was in good shape, people lived for very, very long times. You can see in the Torah, they lived for a very, very long time. And so basically, you didn't really have boundaries of weather patterns, that this is winter, and this is spring, and so on. Rather, life just kind of flowed along, oozed along, and there was no start, there was no end. People lived for many, many hundreds of years, and this led to a general attitude of, there are no boundaries. Things just flow along, things just go as they please, and everything, everything will be fine for as long as it will be fine. And what this led to, this world reality, and this mentality, this attitude of humanity, was that evil itself began to spread, because humanity, mankind, rejected the job of limiting evil and putting it in its place, but on the contrary, chose to engage it, it just spread more and more and more. And like a cancer that goes unchecked and untreated, and the patient just ignores it and continues living his life as if everything's fine, the cancer just spreads more and more and more. And what happens? Uh, The cancer is very alive, it's very powerful, and everything looks great, and it looks like it'll just keep going, except that what happens is, Eventually, the illness takes over all the healthy parts of the body until the point where, uh, there, God forbid, there is nothing healthy left, and then that brings death. And this is the nature of evil. Evil spreads and spreads and spreads until it spreads so much that there's nothing good left. And then what happens is, if there's no good left, the evil itself just self-destructs because evil, and here we'll, we'll get a little bit Kabbalistic, evil needs to feed off of a spark of goodness. This is a very Kabbalistic idea. Evil needs to feed off of a spark of goodness. Evil itself is death, is non-existence. It needs something alive to feed off of. The virus which kills needs a live organism to feed off of until the virus spreads so far that it kills the organism and itself in the process. Uh, A cancer uh, spreads and spreads and spreads until it kills its victim and itself in the process. And this is how evil works in the world. It spreads and spreads until it takes over everything and then has nothing left to feed off of and it just self-destructs. Well, that's what happened to the world. The world, the evil just spread and spread. And that's why you have this idea that the animals themselves corrupted their way. You had animals living, uh, having relationships with animals from other species. Since when do animals have free will to decide whom they want to live with, whom they want to marry, so to speak, um, whom they want to take as mates? The answer is they don't. But what humanity's uh, actions... Uh, affect the rest of the world and humanity's uh, actions bring that attitude of no boundaries of do whatever you want to the rest of the world and so the rest of the world was affected in that way and so you had animals as well just going beyond the normal boundaries that were put into place this evil took over the entirety of the world well what's going to happen sooner or later when it just keeps spreading and spreading it will take everything over there will be no good left and the whole world will just blow up It will just self-destruct because the evil will take everything over and we'll have nothing left uh, off of which to feed and it will just self-destruct. And that is what brings about the destruction of the world. Now, a few points to analyze over here in this context. Point number one is that how does the world get destroyed? Through a mobble, through a flood. Let's think about this for a moment. Water, uh, even in 
in modern uh, modern uh, de- depictions is usually almost always that item which shows which depicts growth, spreading, success, uh, and unchecked uh, ability to spread. It also is used very much to depict lusts and desires and so on and so forth. Uh, dryness always is always a, a depiction of death and of, of destruction, fire and things like that. But water, moisture, is life. But what happens to water when it spreads too far and too much is that it becomes very, very destructive. And so if we could go back to this idea of what's going on in this generation, we talked about the idea of just spreading, spreading and spreading. This is the idea of chesed, which we've talked about in past podcasts, which is the idea of, of providing, of expansion. And so what happened was these people, they just spread more and more and more. They expanded, which is a manifestation of chesed. But as we talked about in a previous podcast, if there's no check, of din, of justice, of limitation, then the chesed gets completely out of hand and it spreads unchecked. It becomes very, very destructive. And so the water uh, does provide life. It does bring life. But when there are no boundaries on the water whatsoever, then that life becomes death and it becomes very destructive. And so the the, the depiction of, of moisture, which we see of water in today's world, which always is a way of depicting life and lushness and growth is absolutely true until you take away the boundaries and then it becomes deadly, then it becomes death. And so this generation just wanted to keep sucking all of the goodness and that Hashem was providing for them and they just took all that goodness and it just they just spread unchecked and so did the evil. There were no limitations and it just destroyed everything in the entire world. What was left? What was left was Noah inside a little box floating on the water with his family and the animals. And while this is not the point to discuss this at length, clearly whatever was going on in that ark was miraculous because you can't fit every species in in, in the world inside a small ark. And for them to survive under the very, very tempestuous conditions that existed during the flood was also miraculous. But that was how Hashem chose to preserve Noah. And the sources say that the little bit of good, of life, the spark of goodness that was left in the world was concentrated, was centered inside of this ark, inside of this teva. That's what was, uh, that's the only goodness, the only life that evil had not taken over was centered in this ark. Why is Noah the one who was chosen? The Torah calls him a tzaddik. What's a tzaddik? Now, in modern parlance, if you help an old lady cross the street, or you help someone carry their bags up to their apartment, and, or if you give someone a ride to the airport very late at night, when it's hard, so then you get labeled a tzaddik. You did a mitzvah, you're a tzaddik. I hate to break the news, but it's a lot more complicated to be truly a tzaddik. Who is the uh, paradigm of a tzaddik in the Torah? Yosef. How does Yosef earn the title of tzaddik? By controlling himself, by limiting himself. The idea of a tzaddik is that whatever Hashem gives me, Whatever talents, whatever abilities Hashem gives me, I use solely for what they are meant to be used for, and nothing else. And so Yosef has myriad talents, he's very handsome, uh, he, he, is, he unfortunately draws the attention of his master's wife, and she tries to get him to use uh, his, his abilities, or in this case his handsomeness, and whatever other gifts he's given, in an improper way. And Yosef here is presented with a terrible, terrible decision, choice that he has to make, of giving in and saving himself or refusing uh, his master's wife's advances, which will get him in trouble. And Yosef comes through and he says, it is improper for me to do this. I will sin to God and my master has given me everything in the house but you. And here's Yosef saying, there are borders, there are limitations. It's not proper for me 
to use anything that God has given me in an improper way. It's improper for me to abuse what my master has given me, to take advantage of it. That's improper. And this idea on a deeper level uh, is what we call gezel, theft. Because when God or anyone gives you something to make use of it in a certain way, and you abuse that, that is a form of theft. And in fact, in Yom Kippur, by the Ne'ilah prayer, at the very end of Shemona Esrei, by the confession of the Ne'ilah prayer, instead of saying the usual Al-Chait confession, we say a lengthy prayer, and twice in that prayer, we mention the idea that God gave us the opportunity to repent from what we have stolen. Why is the sin of stealing picked from everything that we could possibly talk about at the climax of Yom Kippur by the Ne'ilah prayer on Yom Kippur? And the answer is that when Hashem gives us goodness in life and we use it for our own pleasure without using it in the service of Hashem, that is a form of theft. It was given to us to use for sacred proper purposes and if a person uses it for his own pleasure, that is a form of theft. And hence we have the very fascinating verse in the Torah that Hashem tells Noah, I'm going to destroy the world. And the Torah says, Kimala Ha'aretz Hamas. The entire world is full of Hamas. Hamas is a form of theft. One second. Didn't we say that the problem was that they were involved in all kinds of illicit relationships? Wasn't that the problem? The answer is yes, indeed. The illicit relationships were a result of the lack of boundaries. But if we boil it down to a very, very basic element, the idea is that it, it boils down to theft, it boils down to gezel, to chamas, to this form of theft, because what all of this boils down to in having illicit relationships, in sucking all the pleasure out of the world for one's own use, what it really boils down to is, I'm taking advantage of gifts I was given, and instead of using them for the purpose that they were intended, I'm using them for my own pleasure, and that is theft. And so the entire world is full of theft in the sense that Everything is available for me. I'll just take it because I feel like taking it. A thief says there's no boundaries. Uh, what's, what, what, what seems to belong to you, I could take it. There's no boundary. There's no border. I'm taking it for myself. It's expansion without any limits. And so this idea of theft, of just expanding oneself to take whatever you see fit, boils down to theft. It expresses it itself very much in the area of illicit relationships. But when all is said and done, it boils down to theft and the lack of boundaries, of any boundaries at all. Noah is the tzaddik. The tzaddik is the one, as we said for Yosef, who uses whatever Hashem gives him perfectly and properly without using it in any way, shape, or form uh, for his own pleasure. It's used in a way that Hashem wants him to use it for the service of Hashem. That is the exact opposite of this attitude of the the generation of the flood. And so consequently, Noah as the tzaddik, as the righteous person, who engages the world and uses it, but only in, in a way that Hashem wants him to, to serve Hashem, he is the antithesis of the generation of the flood, and therefore he is the one who is saved. Ultimately, what happens after the flood, Hashem promises Noah that he will never again destroy the world, and he shows him a rainbow as a sign. So what is up with this rainbow, and what exactly is this oath that Hashem gives Noah that he's never again going, going to destroy the world? So, again, the sources discuss this idea, and they say as follows, Whereas before the flood, mankind was given the ability to spread as he saw fit, and mankind's actions allowed evil to spread unchecked, to the point of destroying the entire world, after the flood, what Hashem did was He put boundaries into the world. And these boundaries manifest themselves in a number of areas. Notably, as the Torah itself says, Hashem tells Noah, there will be different seasons. The idea of seasons is the idea that there are different uh, sections of the year with boundaries. People will not live as long. 
as you can see, if you follow the generations, following the flood, people's lives get shorter and shorter as time goes on, because the world has changed fundamentally. The world is not the huge, unchecked opportunity uh, to just suck all the pleasure out of it. It was before with no boundaries. Instead, it's a world with boundaries. There will be seasons. People will have much shorter, limited lifespans. People won't live for close to a thousand years anymore. Rather, their lifespans will gradually shorten more and more, and that will create limits on life. Life will not be as rich and as lush as it was before. The world will have seasons. You'll have, you'll have limitations of how much can grow, how much is available, how much pleasure is available. There are now boundaries, and this reflects a new world order, that there are now boundaries in place. And by extension, evil will have boundaries as well. And Hashem swears that mankind will no longer have the ability to spread evil to such an extent that it will destroy the entire world. And that is the sign of the rainbow. And I will, I will show you two ideas that, that emerge from the rainbow uh, that show this idea of boundaries. Number one, this idea is expressed by Rabbi Yeshua of, of Kutna, and he says that a rainbow is a half circle. Whenever we say that something gets all the way around, we say it goes full circle. And so before the flood, mankind had the ability to extend evil throughout the entirety of creation. That's a full circle. After the flood, we have a half circle, which shows there's a limit how far you can go. You can only go halfway. You can't come full circle to bring evil throughout the entire world. I would like to add my own two cents to this. I believe another idea of the rainbow is that a rainbow is really white light being refracted into the different colors through a prism. The prism, of course, are the raindrops, the moisture in the air, and the light of the sun shining through the raindrops creates a prism effect, and it refracts the light and splits the white light into all of its pieces. In other words, based on our discussion, we can say as follows. White light is, the, uh, is, is light without any boundaries. All the different colors come together, and they create white light. However, when you put it through a prism, it puts each color in its own place. In other words, by putting the light through a prism, you are creating boundaries. You're putting each color in its place. So the rainbow is really a manifestation of boundaries. Each color has its place. They should not just all mush and join and meld together, but rather it's separating them into their separate parts. And so today we live in a world that has boundaries, and of course the message for us is that we have to create boundaries in our lives as well. And to the extent that we succeed in creating boundaries, so then Hashem is able to give us His goodness, His chesed, because He is confident that we will use it in the proper way with limitations in a way that a tzaddik would use it. However, when the world just looks to get more and more for itself, I'll live with whomever I want, I'll marry whomever I want, I'll do whatever I want, uh, that breaks down boundaries, and when the boundaries begin to break down, that is where the danger of destruction comes in, because if there are no boundaries, if there are no limitations, so then things just run amok, and things just spread uninhibited. This will conclude our podcast on the generation of the flood. In the next podcast, I hope to focus on the generation of the dispersion, the story of the Tower of Bavel, and hopefully we will focus on the ideas, and what their error was, what they thought they were doing, and We'll see what that led to as well. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and have a great day.